0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Acts 7.59, and then I'll read down through 8.25. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him, because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done." Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, yet had, yet they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit." And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God." Repent, therefore, of this of, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, "Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me." So when they had testi- so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated.
1: The uh, title of our series for our study in the book of Acts is Revealing the Mystery. And I stated way back in the beginning of it where the title comes from. But if you remember, when we studied the book of Ephesians, Paul had declared how he had been given knowledge regarding the mystery, which had been held a mystery since the foundation of the world. And that mystery is the church. That that Christ would come, and that he would die for our sins, and then the church would be established. The church being a grouping of believers, both Israel and Gentiles. And as we then begin looking at this study, and this um, exegetical study of the book of Acts, the reality is what we're going to see, and what we have seen, is that this is the unfolding of that mystery. How God did what he had planned from before the foundations of the world were laid. If you remember when we went through that study in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter one, we're told that, that, that we were chosen in him before the foundations of the world. That before God ever created the heavens and the earth. Think about that. This is really an amazing thought process. What we know as history was already planned history is really what his story, yeah, you break it apart history is his story God's story playing out amongst men, and we see it, and now we get to be a part of it. we look forward to the future and how it'll be played out. He gives us information regarding that in the 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 book of revelation the the revelation of Jesus Christ, right, and so as we have begun now studying this, we have seen how in the first seven chapters, um, God has begun to, to reveal this. In the very beginning, before Jesus was ascended, again, he gave that commission to his apostles, right? He told them, he promised them that after the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would be witnesses. And they would be witnesses, and then he gave them a plan. He gave them a process. They would be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea. Then they would be witnesses where? In Samaria. And then ultimately they would be witnesses in the uttermost part of the world. So, note what happened on this slide, right? The map shrunk. Did you note the map? I cut it off. I cropped it. Because that's the only part of the map we've, got, we've talked about so far. In fact, we haven't even talked about that much of it. I could crop it even further. Because all we've talked about is Jerusalem, that little red part. But by the time we're done with the series, the whole map's there. Isn't that kind of fun? That God is working out his plan from a seedling. And first, he gives the commission to his apostles, and then he does what? Then he empowers them. And so what do they do when they're empowered by the Holy Spirit? They begin to proclaim the message, right? And so they begin to proclaim the message. They begin the witness of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That leads to the growth of the church. But as we saw, it also leads to the persecution of the apostles. Because it's the apostles who are the ones who are proclaiming the truth right now. But as that is going on, as this dual process is going on, the church is growing. The apostles are being persecuted. Those who are persecuting the apostles thought that they could what? Stifle the growth. Thought that they would stifle the message going out. But all they did was multiply it. Because at this point, the church becomes emboldened, right? And when the church becomes emboldened, they begin to witness. As they begin to witness, the church now becomes multiplied. Not just being added to daily. Now, all of a sudden, the church is being multiplied. It's getting out of hand. It's getting out of control if you were on the other side. And so now they begin to persecute the church as a whole. Not just the apostles, but all the believers. Last week, we saw then from Acts 6, verse 8, down through uh, chapter 7 through verse 60, the, the martyrdom of Stephen. The first recorded martyr, if you would, of Jesus Christ. Stephen was full of spirit. He was full of power. He was full of faith. He was full of grace. And when he opened up his mouth, we're told that the synagogue of the freedmen could not what? They can stand against it, right? They didn't know how to respond. So how do people respond if they can't stand against your wisdom? One of two ways. They're either going to repent, right? Because we're talking about the gospel, right? They're going to repent or they're going to rebel, right? They're going to get angry. Is that, I mean, either they're going to, they're going to, just acquiesce, they're gonna, sus- they're gonna to to the fact that you win the argument, or they're gonna get angry. So what did they do? They got angry. How angry did they get? Really angry, right? They killed them angry, right? And so as we see this beginning to happen, right? Again, this isn't gonna squash the mystery. Rather, it's gonna cause the mystery to blossom. As we're going to see, they kind of go against everything, what they were trying to do. But what's really interesting to me is that in the midst of this whole thing, and I'm glad that Chuck started where he did. It would have been okay if you even started a few verses earlier, Chuck, because we're going to go there. Because in the midst of this killing of Stephen, we're introduced like a great novel, but it's not a novel. This is real life. We're introduced to another individual, another character, Who's now going to become a major player, if you would, on both sides of the fence to the church. And that's Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Because he becomes then the catalyst of the spread of the gospel. I love, there's a lot of portions of scripture I love, you know that. But to me, the irony of this passage is so exciting when it's going to be juxtaposed with Acts 9 when we get there. Because we have this individual named Saul, who, as you see in, in, in chapter 7, verse, um, verse 58, we read, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul's not an old guy at this point. We're told elsewhere that Saul studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Does anybody remember Gamaliel from a few weeks ago? Probably about a month, month and a half ago, right? It was Gamaliel who, who spoke and said to the, to the Sanhedrin, he said, listen guys, don't do anything to these guys. To, to, at that point it was Peter and John, right? Don't do anything because really at this moment, if, if we, we fight against them and they're really on God's side, you're fighting against God. But if, if they're not with God, it's gonna die. It's just gonna die. Not necessarily great counsel from that perspective, but he was the, 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 the voice of reason. In the midst of the Sanhedrin at that moment to not persecute the church. So you need to understand that Saul was a disciple of Gamaliel. He's a young man. So literally, the word neanias is that he's a lad, okay? Now, it could be in his 20s, lad, okay? But he's not right now considered to be one of the the leading um, rabbis. You wouldn't be talking about Rabboni Saul. Do you understand? Up and coming, Saul? So, the up and coming. In my mind, if you picture it into a, a political mindset, he would be an aide to one of the senators or congressmen. Make sense? Okay? He's, he's got his eye toward politics. And this is the place where you kind of start. You know, you become a clerk. If you're going to become um if you want to be a Supreme Court justice or a federal justice, you become a clerk to a Supreme Court justice. He is in that sense in that role of that clerk that that protege of of Gamaliel, but apparently he was also of that synagogue of the freedmen. remember we talked that he was from Cilicia, okay, and the guys from Cilicia were there and and so he wasn't born in in, in Israel specifically in Jerusalem, but rather he was from out and he came in to be trained and equipped. And so he becomes riled up. I kind of wonder, you know, I I got my personal opinions of Saul who became Paul. And Paul is a very prideful, arrogant, uh, braggadocio kind of guy who got saved. Does this make sense? And God takes that personality and he uses it in a mighty way. I can't imagine what the unsaved Saul was like. What would it be like for this guy to lose an argument to someone who wasn't trained? You had no answers. That this guy who wasn't sitting at the feet of the the most prestigious rabbi there was answered all your questions. And you found no way to blow away his argument. And so, when they were coming and they were laying down their clothes so they could better throw the the stones, the one who was overseeing this destruction of Stephen was this young man. I kind of wonder whether he was the one who initiated it. Who was the catalyst, if you would, to stone Stephen. And in that act... Of doing it and I think that's why it's recorded that that he was there, that he was a part of this thing. Is because we're gonna be introduced to him, because God has a purpose for this guy. And God wants us to know what this guy was really like in the, the, the depth, the length, the breadth, the height, the love of God. You think you're bad? You ain't got nothing on this guy. I can't wait till we get to Acts nine. And we see the grace of God portrayed in, in all of its fullness. But God's going to use this guy. He was consenting. The word is taking pleasure, literally taking pleasure in the death of Stephen. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine watching a guy being stoned to death and being excited about it? He's taking pleasure, literally, in it. And then we're told in three that, and we'll talk about this in more detail in just a moment, he was seeking to destroy, literally the word there is to destroy the church. He wasn't just trying to slow down the message. He wasn't just trying. He was literally trying to destroy the church. Now, I want to give him good good motives. I know I have a, a hard time doing that. But I, I want to I put myself in Saul's shoes for a moment. He's committing himself, his life to the Lord. Yahweh, Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He wants to serve God. In, in his bringing up, in his uprising, or uprising, upraising, right? As a Jew, this is what made sense. And so he went. So in, you can almost say in one sense, He was doing what he thought would be right in the eyes of God. Isn't that what Jesus said? There are going to be some who they're going to drag you out. They're going to persecute you, thinking that they're serving who? God. And so, so again, it's not my job to condemn. Does it make sense? It's God's job to condemn. But there are people who think they're doing right, who are actually doing wrong. And they're working against the plan of God. Joseph's brothers weren't thinking they were doing right. <laughs> they hated Joseph. And they sold him into slavery. Well, you know what happened with Joseph, right? He goes into slavery, he goes into jail, but ultimately he becomes the second most powerful man in the world. And God uses Joseph to deliver his people. God can use evil people in the workings of evil people To bring about his good. Do you believe that? As you look out into the world. You're continually having to face. That question. How can a good. Righteous. Omnipotent. Sovereign God. Allow what's going on. In my land. Or around the world. But God has a plan. God has a purpose. It's not out of His control. I may not know what it is. God hasn't divinely given to me the understanding of all the little intricacies. Paul was given a what? Understanding of the mystery, right? But the one thing I do know is that God is big ass sovereign. He is the King of kings, He is the Lord of lords. He puts kings down and he rises them up. And as we're told in Romans 13, that there is no authority except that which has been established by God. So, could God have stopped Saul in what, what, what Saul did to Stephen? He could have. Could God have stopped Saul from what he's about, what we're getting ready to look at, that what he's going to do to the church? Because we're not told a whole lot about this, but you know what? If this was a Hollywood movie... These first couple of verses would take on at least a half hour to an hour. Because there's a whole lot of action that's going on in this passage. Because the next thing we see is not just the person who is the catalyst, but then the persecution of the church. And look what he does. He enters into every house. Read this slow. Think about what's being stated. I don't know whether he literally is entering into every house, or whether he is then initiating the forces to go into every house. But they're going into every house now. Is that every house in Jerusalem, or is that every house that they they have a a claim that there's a believer in it? I don't know. But this sort of sounds like, like Nazi Germany, doesn't it? And they're looking for any evidence that you're a believer. So bring this into today. Would you be found guilty? It's For each individual's answer. I want you to think about that. If they came into your house right now, looking for evidence of whether you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you are following God or whether you're following the world, would they leave you? And say, well, they're harmless. Or would they say, drag them away. And literally, on your sermon note sheet, you have all the references, some of the references for this word, dragging. It literally means to drag. Drag. They dragged them away. They forced entry into the houses, and anybody who was suspected of being a Jesus follower were literally dragged, men, women, children, from their houses. You think you're persecuted? This may be coming down the Pike. It's in other countries this way. It happens in China. With churches that are not registered. Who are meeting and singing. Because they can't make a sound. And be heard. And they're dragged away. I heard years ago. Do you know where a lot of your Christmas lights, your Christmas tree lights are being made? Where is it, Steve? Uh, Made by persecuted persecuted Christians in prisons in China. And someone was able to ask one of these um, guys in China, so should Christians then stop buying the lights? He says, by means, no. Buy them. Buy them. Because by this we reveal to the world that there's a light that's greater than these lights. They're not afraid of their persecution. They're emboldened in their persecution. We're afraid. They entered, forced entry into houses. They dragged them away, and then they committed them to prison. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, that they delivered them over to the prisons. They committed them to the prisons. Do you know why they did that? Because they didn't have the authority to kill they only had the authority to send him to prison. Then they had to go to the Roman authority like they did with Jesus and ask the Roman authority to, to okay the death. To make It puts in perspective what happened with Stephen. They were so angry with Stephen that what happened? They killed him, but think about it. In killing him, what they do? They violated a Roman law. That's exactly right. They violated their agreement. They were in danger of being exterminated themselves by Rome for going against it. So now, collected <laughs> and doing things lawfully, they went and smashed in houses and, and dragged away people and, and then claimed them as subservience or um, not subservients, uh, rebels to Rome. And submitted them to the to the prisons, but all that brought about was the proliferation of the church. Proliferation is the sudden growth, fast growth of an of an entity of an of, a, of an organ organism, and that's exactly what happened with the church. At this moment, they were content to stay in Jerusalem. They were enjoying the fellowship. Do you enjoy the fellowship? It's hard to get the church to go outside the four walls. Because we enjoy the fellowship. They were enjoying Jerusalem. They were enjoying what God was doing in Jerusalem. But God told them not to just stay in Jerusalem. Remember the commission? Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and the outermost part of the world. I don't want this message to be stuck right here at home. It's supposed to go out into all the nations. But they were content with it being just a Jewish thing. So God brought about a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Philippians chapter 3, that's who Saul was. (laughs) To cause his church, to cause the mystery to be spread into all the world. The believers went, scattered, preaching, heralding the gospel message. I love the word, preaching. It's the word for heralding. It's the Greek word, Caruso. And so, if you've been here long enough, what's my next thing? I'm going to go to who? I don't do this enough. I need to do it more of him. Enrique Caruso. I mean, one of you know the the great opera star. No, I won't sing for you. Anyways, but you can. Amen, hey, brother. I'm going to do it just for you, Rodney. Anyways, but you can almost hear them proclaiming it: the King is coming. The King is coming. That's exactly what they did. They went out and they proclaimed the gospel. The the Son of God came. He died. He was resurrected. He's paid the penalty of your sins. Believe. Repent. Change the way you think. And instead of squashing the message, all they did was make it grow. So Philip goes to Samaria. That's where we pick up the story, right? Philip, as he's being scattered, elsewhere he's called Philip the Evangelist. Okay. And you can look that up. And so, because everywhere he went, he was what? Evangelizing. Next week, we're going to talk about Philip again. And he's going to be talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay. He's available to God to be used. Philip, like Stephen, was one of the first seven. Isn't that kind of fun? You kind of wonder what happened in Jerusalem now with the, the, the seven guys they chose to take care of the, the widows. And now God's taking those seven guys and sending them out there and, and being evangelists and stuff like that. Isn't that kind of cool? And that's so why I appreciate And I'm not picking on you, Brian, as far as... But I appreciate when you share the word in part of testimony time. You know, Brian's a deacon. And so the whole idea is that you've got the the guys who are doing that, but they're not just like only worrying about physical stuff. They worry about the what? The word as well. Okay? And so Philip went out, and he was proclaiming what? Christ. Just like they all did. they He proclaimed Christ, but he was joined by miracles. So, in the beginning part, we focused on the fact that the miracles, the wonders, were being performed by who? The apostles. The apostles, because the apostles were the ones who were witnessing. But now, all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, God is sending out others, just like Jesus sent out the 70, remember? And when he sent out the 70 he gave them the, the ability to cast out demons and to do all these wonderful things right and they came back and they were all excited that even the spirits obeyed him he says look at it don't 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 be don't be excited about that rather be excited that your name is written down it's it's all about where you're going to be for eternity it's not a matter of the powers that you might have at this for a, a, a period of time and so They were limited, the 70 were limited for a period of time while he was sending them forth. They didn't continue to do that the rest of the time. In the same way, God is now going to use beyond the apostles to be able to do miraculous things. Philip exercises demons and he heals even those who are paralytic. That's pretty impressive stuff. I mean, that's not like you got a headache and I and I lay my hands on you and I I I, I pray away your headache, you know, because that what? It could have gone away on its own, right? Or you, your back's hurting a little bit, you know, and and we pray over it and your your backache goes away for a while or whatever, okay? But people who have demons, demons are gone. People who are paralyzed, which means they can't what? They can't walk. Now they can do what? They can walk. <laughs> yeah, they dance. I never thought about that part of it, John, but you're exactly right. They probably boogied their way up. It, it, but it was like the, the lame man at the, at, the, at the gate, beautiful. And so the people in Samaria saw this. The people in Samaria saw it, and it was marvelous. Okay? Again, you got to understand the purpose of the signs and wonders. Same thing as we talked about, I mean, have been talking about. It, it validated the message that was being proclaimed to the people, okay? And so, what was the response? Well, from the multitude, they heeded what Philip spoke. They heard it, and they saw what was going on, and so they heeded what he spoke. They rejoiced, and were told that throughout this city, the entire city, there was great joy. Now, i got to stop for a moment and talk about that throughout the city. There is claims that at this moment, there's not a city named Samaria anymore, but Samaria is the name of a region. I'm not going to dispute one way or the other on this one. It really doesn't matter to me. Okay? I know the word in the Greek for city is city. Make sense? It's what I know. And I know the word for Samaria is Samaria. Now, whether it's talking about a specific city, um, like Sychar or whatever, and and using the word Samaria there, I don't know. I honestly don't care. Does that make sense? So that's, that's as much as I'm going to spend on that. Okay? So anyways, but if you've heard that, just so you know that, okay? So there was great joy in the city. And then the next thing that happens is, they're immersed. Why? They heard the message. They received the message. And the next thing they did was, they were baptized. They were immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the process. Jesus said, go out, right? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? teaching them to serve all the things that I have taught you. Okay? So there's a process and that Philip, who wasn't necessarily one of those 12, is still following the what? The process. There's a process, y'all. Okay? You give the gospel, people accept the gospel, they get immersed, they get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then you teach them. Then you continue to teach them. Then you continue to teach them. You don't hand them off to somebody else. You continue to teach them. Now, I understand it's like an education to your kids. You're going to use other sources if you need to, okay? However, there's a responsibility. You go out. You go out. You proclaim the message. You lead someone to the Lord. Then you continue to equip them. But I don't feel like I'm equipped. Well, what does that mean then? You need to be what? You need to start getting yourself equipped. That's exactly right. Get yourself equipped. Now, all that means is at this moment that you're going to be like the mama bird going out and you're going to get some, some worms, right? And you're going to eat the worm, and you're going to get part of it, and then you're going to do what? Regurgitate the rest of it to your baby. Isn't that kind of fun? Okay. But I promise you, it's better eating a steak than it is a worm. Okay. So just think Hebrews chapter five and the chapter six at this moment. Okay. By this time, you ought to be teachers. Okay. So you ought to be eating the meat and and, so, and not be worrying about the milk. And so if you've been saved for a period of time, it sh- it should not be any of this moments of well, I don't, I'm not prepared. You are prepared, or you better be prepared. It's for real. Okay? The only time it's going to happen is if you step into it and do it. And it's a fearful thing. Michaela, can I pick on you? Amen. But in good ways. In good ways. No, no. Michaela, I mean, I love Michaela. Michaela is such a gem. Um, Amen. I know you'd agree, Rodney. Um, Michelle, for, for those of you who speak other languages or whatever, Michelle spoke German, right? And, and you struggled with speaking in public and, and even praying in public, right? Oh, yeah. And then, then we had a woman, I won't say her name, but anyways, on the south end of town that we were ministering to. Remember that? And who lived the closest? You. <laughs> you did. And so I said, Michelle, here we go. This is a moment for you to be involved in this lady's life. Would you be willing to come and to, to be with me for a while and learn how to disciple her and take it over? Now you ask stop for a moment and you answer yourself right now what would you say? Yeah, exactly. I can't do it. She said that at first, but then she but she but she said I'll try. I'll try. That's all you can ever say, right? I don't want people I can't I'll try. And so we were together for a couple weeks and then what happened Michelle? But who, who, what, what happened after a couple of weeks? Who, 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 who stopped coming to the Bible studies? I did, and who led them then? Yeah, I left you there. I left her there. That's exactly right. That's exactly how it played out. And she discipled her. How cool is that? Don't tell me you can't do it. You can do it. You just have to be willing to do it. Fight for it. It's not you who does it anyway. Who ultimately is the discipler? The Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. Some water, some sow. God gives the increase. I just have to be in the way, if you would. Being in the way, the Lord moved me, right? I just have to be in the way. I I just got to be, okay, Lord, I'm here. You guys are here listening to me. I don't understand why. Anyways, but but I'm not a public speaker. I'm a programmer. At least that's what I was. But that's what God took me from and said, I want you to do this. And so I'm not, woo me. God, you can do whatever if God wants you to do it. Do you track? Anyways, Philip went out. He was willing. In a whole region, it's getting saved. But it gets better. Because now you got this magician, who claimed to be the great one, and everybody thought he was the great power of God. Because this guy did phenomenal things. Do you ever see some of these magicians and some of the the, um, the optical illusions they're able to do? Can I submit to you that I really think in the demonic realm there are probably things that are happening that aren't just optical illusions? That's why the Bible talks about staying away from sorcery and witchcraft and all this kind of stuff. We dabble, we play, we joke, we act like it does. It it does exist. There is a spiritual war. And so that's what Ephesians 6 is all about, right? That's why you put on the whole armor of God. Because it does exist. And Satan loves to make you think that, Oh, it's it's all just fun and all just goofiness. It it, It does exist. And he's out to destroy. Simon... Was on his side. Do you get it? And he is doing phenomenal things. I don't know from where the power it was that he got to do these things. But it wasn't from Christ and it wasn't from God. But he did phenomenal things. But when he saw what God was doing through Philip. He realized that he was undone. Because he was a charlatan. But Philip was real. Isn't this something to think about? People will know whether you're really real. Or whether you're fake. And they were influenced by Simon. They were impressed by Simon. They were potentially in fear of Simon. Until they saw what? The real deal. So I ask myself, am I the real deal? Do people see the real deal, quote unquote, in me? Or am I just playing a game? So I wrote a song years ago. It's called My Testimony. I looked in the mirror of my soul and I couldn't believe my eyes. A life that was full of double standards, a life that was full of lies trying hard to be what I was not, seeking only the glory of men, looking deep into an empty well to find only a bucket of sin. But then, oh, I did find a blessed peace in a well with a perfect word. My mask pulled off off before an omniscient God, cleansed by the blood of the Lord. Now a doer, not only a hearer, the wood, hay, and stubble aside, the new man put on, now I will stand in his presence, I will abide. But do you get it? I hate playing the hypocrite. I want to be genuine. I don't want to be all about impressing Bob. It's too easy to slip into that. It's too easy to worry about, are, are you impressed with me at this moment? But to point people to Christ. Simon, the sorcerer, Simon the magician, looked at Philip and he realized he was undone. So we're going to stop with Simon. We'll come back to him in a moment. Right? And so he has this exciting thing because Simon gets immersed. Okay? He gets, he gets, he receives the message. He gets immersed as well. Well, word goes back to Jerusalem. <laughs> they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Instagram. Instagram. They didn't have Facebook. I don't know how Word got back to Facebook, or back to Jerusalem, right? They had it back to Facebook. Back to Jerusalem. But Word gets back to Jerusalem, and they find out, wow, there's something big going on in Samaria. And so they send Peter and John. Now, I want you to note that they sent Peter. It's not a... We're going to mention it just briefly here, but when we get to Acts 10 and then Acts 15, it's a big, 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 big deal. Okay? And so... So they send Peter and John to Samaria to check out what's going on, okay? So they send them, and so they can validate that actually what they have heard is actually true. Well, and so when they go there, they find out that yes, indeed, these people are receiving the gospel. They are being immersed in the name of Jesus Christ, okay? But this next part can be confusing, okay? Because what they find out is, they had not yet what? received the Holy Spirit. Now, I I want you to stop for a moment. And I want you to realize that there are too many times that we eisegetically look at the Bible. Okay, I've said this in the past. So somebody tell me, what what do I mean when I say that? What do I mean when I say that we eisegetically look at the Bible? What's it mean, to eisegete? We isolate it. No, not necessarily. That's true too. But when you eisegetically read the Bible, you read our ideas into the Bible. So, ace is the Greek word, into. You put knowledge into rather than exegeting it and taking knowledge from it. Okay? And so, we then, 2,000 years later, being influenced by a theology, then turn around and read the Bible and we read our our theologies into the Bible... Rather than reading the Bible and understanding what's happening, okay? So, so I want us, I want you to stop for a moment and I want you to think about this, okay? How much time do you believe has passed from the time of Christ's ascension to Acts chapter 8? Have you ever thought about that before? Have have you you, ever even pondered it? So, so give me, give me a, give me a round figure. Wow, that's generous. 10 years, really? No, I don't think so. Months. Months. Could be a year. Could be a year and a half. Okay? But not much time. We're not told about any feasts at this moment. Okay? So things are happening quickly at this moment. Not years. This is months. We're talking months. Okay? At this moment, I want you to think about it. How much theology, quote unquote, has been developed? Not a whole lot. Why? Because they're living it. They're making it. <laughs> I mean we go back and we study it and we want to read into it, and this, is what it is and this is what it is. No, I mean this is all happening, right? So to receive the Holy Spirit, okay, from that perspective in their mindset, what do they think? What are they what what does it mean to them? Say again, fellas. Well, the laying on of hands, but when they go there and they realize that the Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet, hasn't been received yet, theoretically, okay? What are they looking at? Say, say, signs. Signs. Go back to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Now, note, I want to state for a moment, it's this very, when I study out the stuff about the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff, I find it extremely interesting that speaking in tongues is not stated here specifically in, in Acts 8. In Acts 10, when we get to Cornelius's redemption, we're told that he receives the gift in the same manner that they did in the beginning. Again, we're not told tongues, but specifically, I think that it is because they begin to praise God. Okay. So, so I don't know what's going on here, but clearly what I do know is that Peter and John are looking for a what? A physical manifestation, something that they see. But we understand now, because the whole of the, the the Bible being written, and having the knowledge that, that Paul has given to us as well, Saul who becomes Paul, right? And we have the full account of all these epistles. We understand that the Holy Spirit then is given to us, specifically given to us, no need of a sign when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The fact that these individuals accepted the Word and then were immersed in the name of Christ, okay, they already have the Holy Spirit. But they didn't receive the what? The power, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit upon them. Remember we talked about that way back in the beginning when we Acts two, when we went into it, we spent a whole message talking about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and the coming of the Holy Spirit and that kind of stuff, okay? Well, the Holy Spirit had not come upon them with power. Using the same terms from Acts 1 and Acts 2, that's really what Peter and John are looking for. They're looking for the Holy Spirit to have come upon them with power and it hadn't happened. So God, by His grace, allowed Peter and John to lay hands on these new believers in something we're not told. Isn't that kind of amazing? I think that's intentional. Or else you'd have sects of Christendom declaring that you have to do that. I mean, you have sects of Christendom saying that you have to speak in tongues or you can't be saved. That's not biblical. That's anti biblical. So the word just leaves it out. It doesn't tell us what they did. But something happened in order to confirm that these Samaritans really were believers. There was indisputable proof to Peter and John who were going to go back to Jerusalem and report, indeed, the gospel has come to these half-breeds. And I don't mean that Derogatorily, that's what the Jews saw the Samaritans as. They were not Jews. Remember the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Okay, that's why it, the way it is. The Jews did, did, disdained the Samaritans, and now they got to go back and they got to and tell everybody. And not only did they go back to tell people in Jerusalem, but what does it say that Peter and John did on the way back to Jerusalem? Details. Details are important. What does it say they did? Look at look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. Don't be looking at me. I'm not going to tell you the answer. What does it say they did? Say it again. They test. Well, they testified in the villages through the vote. As they went back, they actually witnessed in the villages. As they went back, don't you wonder how they came? Probably pretty direct. <laughs> Through the same villages and beeline through because they didn't want anything to be a part of it, right? So they came on through. Not, I don't know. I think maybe they might even went down by the Jordan River and came up the other way so they didn't have to go through them. You know? And so now they're going through those Samaritan villages and they're prayer claiming the gospel because Philip was used by God to do this. This It's exciting stuff for me, okay? So, so they're receiving the Holy Spirit. Well, then you have finally this confrontation with Simon. Simon sees this. I mean, it's one thing for Philip to be, you know, casting out demons and then uh, healing the paralytic, but there must have been something special that happened. Because when he sees this, he turns to Peter and says, Hey, dude, can I I give you 50 silver? So you can give me that power? I don't know about you, but when I got saved, God took away smoking and drinking for me, okay? Smoking and drinking, okay? I mean, I can tell you a story. I went to, to Fort Knox. He'd already taken drinking away. Um, me and the captain, I was the first lieutenant at the time, the captain I was with. We stopped at the Oak Club on the way back to the place where I'm um, going to stay. And he says, hey, you grab the table. I'll grab the drinks. What do you want? I said, I'll just want a root beer. Well, all we heard was beer, right? And so he brings back two beers, and I'm looking at the thing, thinking, "Oh Lord, you took this away from me. I don't know what to do right." And so then I go through this whole, you know, the the the, the thing of justification, right? Well, you know, it, the Bible never says you can't drink. The Bible it just, you know, puts out, "Don't do it in moder do it in moderation." I got to kind of say, "Oh, I, I just I don't want to I don't want to offend him. He bought this for me." Man, you got to understand before my before Jesus days, I mean, I put away the rum, I put away the gin, I put away the whiskey, I put away the beer. Okay, I mean, I was, anyways the other side of the road track kind of guy, okay? I had less than a half of glass of that beer, and my world was spinning. Woo! Like I was ready to just puke, throw up, okay? God what? He took it away. He didn't take away other sins. Other sins. Other temptations. Yes, thank you, Bess. That's exactly right. Music was a process for me. Going through, I used to DJ. I had thousands, back in my day, thousands of dollars of music. You understand how much I'm talking about, okay? I had lots of music, okay? There's not a genre that I don't know. From that era, praise the Lord, He's allowed me to not get tainted by a whole lot from today, okay? I'd rather have, go into a, a restaurant and have them play stuff from today because I can't understand, I don't understand it. I hate being the da- the, the age of the oldies. And so, um, because I, I can still sing you every one of those Yucky, ugly, demonic songs. Okay, and I'm not proud of that, but that's a reality. Okay, but from a lot of genres. Okay, God didn't take that away. God didn't take away the lust of the flesh from me. Okay, I I not grew up necessarily at home in pornography, but as as a child growing up, pornography was a huge part of my life. He didn't take that away from me. Okay, he left things for me to work on. Okay, so so when you think of Simon right now. Are you condemning him? Because you're condemning yourself. He's just struggling with what he always struggled with. It was a power game for Simon. And he sees something, and his first reaction is to do what? What he's always done. Say again? Buy it. it. That's I want it. I want it. I want it. Now, I get it. I mean, whatever, okay? Because we get the reaction of Peter condemning him, so I get that. So I'm not trying to downplay it, but I want you to be careful. Judge not lest you be judged, and with what judgment you judge others should be measured unto you, right? And so, I get that so well, okay? There are so many times I continue to fail, okay? And I'm not proud of that. Simon says, <laughs> I want to buy it. Peter then turns around with his rebuke. I mean, it's a massive rebuke. Your money perished with you. Your heart's not right in the sight of God. You need to repent because you're you're poisoned with bitterness and bound by iniquity. Would that get your attention? Now, this is a test. I want you to think about it. This is a test of Simon's realness. Because if Simon isn't real at this moment, what happens? He really does become bitter. He becomes angry. But he doesn't. We'll talk about his response in a moment, right? But I want to stop for a moment on this. Because I, I don't want to just run past it, which I, I, I need to, time-wise. But repent, you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. I want you to stop and think about that. You're bound by iniquity when you're poisoned with bitterness. When bitterness is in your soul, it's only killing you. And you are bound The word means bound by iniquity. It owns you. It owns you. Romans chapter 6 is very clear. You've presented yourself as a a slave to sin, whether you like it or not. That's how it plays out. Because we're told in the book of Ephesians that bitterness is totally contrary to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Peter hits right at the thing. There's a bitterness. I don't know what the bitterness is. He doesn't tell us what the bitterness in Simon is. But at the core of everything that Simon's doing, there's a bitterness. A bitterness at God? A bitterness at someone? I don't know. But he says, you're bound by this. You're poisoned by bitterness, and you're bound by iniquity. Therefore, you need to change the way you think. Repent. Metanoia. Change the way you think. Because otherwise, you're continually going to be bound. It's not going to help you. So, Simon's response... Pray to Yahweh for me. Pray to the Lord for me. Pray to the Lord for me. I want to be freed from this. Don't put up your hand. But I want you to think right now. It's not one of the questions up there, it's not going to come up. But I want you to think right now what sin are you bound by? Are you crying out like Simon that I want to be released from it? Pray to the Lord for me. That's the beginning of repentance. That's the beginning of revival. The theme of this message is, is, is spreading forth the message. So I don't want to lose thought of that. But this is an important sub-thought that I don't want to lose in the midst of that. I ought to hate sin. Sin is abhorrent to my father. It's an abomination to him. It's a stench in his nostrils. Is it to me? Everything that Peter stated was well spoken. That's how God sees it. But we want to excuse it. It wasn't that bad. I mean, it's just, come on. Slide it under, sweep it under the rug. It's okay. Life will go on. Pray to the Lord for me. So in the end, as the church was scattered, they went proclaiming the word. What about you? What about me? How faithful are we to proclaim the message by which we've been saved? Aren't you so glad somebody was bold enough to proclaim it to you? Why do we hold it to ourselves? Do we need a period of persecution to make us understand the preciousness of the gift and go out then proclaiming it? Philip, like Peter, or like Stephen, had power in his spiritual life. What are you doing to grow in faith? What are you doing to grow in faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Are you reading His Word? Are, are, you, are you eating it, digesting it every day? If not, that's really the start. That's, it doesn't change. I mean, the message is going to be the same every single time. You've got to be in God's Word. You've got to be in God's Word. Do you have a true passion to see people come to know Christ? What is your priority? And finally then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. You truly are a God of grace and a God of mercy. And Lord, as we think of that, I think of how you um, revealed that grace and mercy to not just the people of Samaria, but Lord, I think even of Simon the sorcerer, that your grace was greater than the depths of Simon's sin. In the same manner, it's greater than the depths of my sin. I thank you for what you've done in my life, Lord. I thank you for the transformation that you have been working in my life, Lord. I pray that you continue that work in me, that you have begun at the beginning and that you will, I know you'll continue it to the day of Christ. And so, Lord, that I would be able to become more and more like Jesus each day. But, Lord, I pray that for this assembly as well, Lord, that we would become more and more in your likeness. And, Lord, that you would cause us to be bold, that we would go forth, not because of persecution, but because of freedom, because of your grace, because of your love, because of your mercy, to proclaim to those who are lost and dying, who need to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness, that we would be faithful, as Philip was faithful, as Stephen was faithful, to proclaim your message. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.